Hail and welcome to A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. I am Margo, and I'm so happy to have you here with me for a short time. It is Friday, July 28th, on the day this episode is released, and it's just a few days before not only the full super sturgeon moon in Aquarius, but the Wheel of the Year celebration and first harvest known as Lunasa or Lamas to some. So we're going to talk about both of those today, as well as kitchen witchery. Because when it comes to observing and celebrating pagan holidays, I tend to focus heavily on feasting with loved ones. And kitchen witchery really steps into the spotlight of my practice. And since Lunasa is such a popular time for baking homemade bread, I thought, it's time to talk about it, and I'm also going to be sharing some recipes. But first, let's start with the moon. Always begin with the moon. I don't know what that means. I just wanted to say it. One day it'll make sense. So on Tuesday, this coming up Tuesday, or is it, would it be next? I don't know. Is it next Tuesday if it's the next one coming, or is it next Tuesday of next week? Whatever. On Tuesday, August 1st, 2023, the super sturgeon moon will reach its peak at approximately 2.31 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As we've discussed, supermoons take place roughly three or four times each year and are given the term supermoon because they are essentially larger than average lunations because they occur closer to Earth than a typical new or full moon. Um, this makes them appear anywhere between 7 to 13% larger than what is considered normal. Um, the largest of these occurring in 2023 will be the blue moon happening later on in August. So many magical practitioners agree that the energies of any particular full moon are heightened or intensified during a supermoon because of its closer proximity to us and the larger-than-life appearance that it gives in the sky. And so spell work is also made more powerful or intensified. It's also the perfect time to practice divination or work with the water elements or create some moon water to store for later, which, as this lunation is taking place in Aquarius, will hold energies of independence, high intellect, creativity, and rebelliousness. And it's also taking place on a Tuesday, which is ruled by Mars, carrying the energies of action, a forward driving movement, assertiveness, warrior energy, and fiery passion. Uh, you could also honor a lunar deity that you do or want to begin working with during a supermoon. But why is this one called the Sturgeon Moon? While taking place every August, sturgeon moons get their name from the sturgeon fish, which are seen more often this time of year, particularly in the Great Lakes. August's full moon has also been referred to as the ricing moon, the corn moon, the green corn moon, the grain moon, and the red moon for the reddish hue that it often takes on during the summer haze. The sturgeon moon often calls up some introspection about our determination, our goals, motivations, and ambitions, and above all, what drives us. Sometimes past experiences and the emotions that they bring up in us are what drives us towards our goals, which can be either positive or harmful. We may need to ask ourselves, are we being driven by a sense of true and honest determination to better ourselves or our lives? Or 
are we being driven by fear, guilt, or even shame? Sometimes it's a combination of these things or something altogether different. But understanding our motivations can help us reassess if the things that we're working towards are really what we need in this life. And this doesn't have to halt our progress in any way. Taking a pause to come to an understanding about what makes us tick can be extremely helpful in our journeys and help us make decisions from a place of true wisdom, however uncomfortable the process may be. All that said, we're also in the season of the fixed fire sign of Leo now. And the main character vibes are strong and... Venus is also in retrograde (laughs) and I've been feeling it. And judging from the conversations that I've had with friends, I haven't been alone. You may be feeling your desire to be seen, heard, and appreciated more than ever lately, which if most people are feeling this way and focusing inward on their own personal needs, that only means that almost no one is feeling the type of external validation that they may be needing from others. Try not to take it personally. Sometimes when everyone is going through it, even together, togetherness is the opposite of what they end up feeling. It's the feeling of isolation and aloneness that is typically the result. It will not last. Especially as this Leo season full moon in Aquarius encourages us to embrace and love what makes us all stand out from the crowd, our uniqueness, our quirkiness, and the ways we challenge the status quo simply by being. That's a beautiful thing to shed some super moon light on, to be sure. So let this moon help you to worry less about how others perceive you, because doing so limits your ability to express yourself freely, and this super moon seeks to help us feel liberated enough to just do that. Remember, normal, whatever that means, is boring. And I know that was a lot. And I only touched lightly upon the astrological occurrences because I'm no expert. But the universe is complex, and so are we. As above, so below. And there's still more. (laughs) Because this Sturgeon supermoon in Aquarius also falls on the same day as the celebration of Lunasa, or Lamas, depending upon your preference or your cultural background. So let's talk about this celebration coming up on August 1st and or 2nd, depending upon your personal preference and your cultural background. Lunasa, also known as Lamas, is one of the eight festivals celebrated in the Wheel of the Year in some pagan and neo-pagan traditions. It is observed on August 1st in the Northern Hemisphere or February 1st in the Southern Hemisphere, or in some traditions from sundown on August 1st to sundown on August 2nd and it marks the beginning of the harvest season. In fact, it is the first of three harvest celebrations, which also include the autumn equinox, or Maybon, as some call it, and Samhain. The festival is named after the Celtic god Lu, who is associated with skills, craftsmanship, and the harvest. Lunasa has ancient origins and was traditionally celebrated by the Celtic people. The festival was a significant event in their agricultural calendar and was dedicated to honoring Lu as well as thanking the deities for a bountiful harvest. 
Some traditions include harvest celebrations, since Lunasa is primarily a festival of gratitude for the first fruits of the harvest. It is a time to celebrate the abundance of the earth and give thanks for the crops that sustain life. Some celebrations would include feasting and games, often accompanied by communal feasts where people share the fruits of the harvest together. Games and competitions are also common during this time, echoing the ancient Taltean games, which were associated with the festival. Corn dollies. I have one right here, actually, that I got from a very talented artist. She's holding a bundle of lavender. She has some lavender in her hair and in her dress. Uh, a traditional activity during Lunasa involves creating corn dolls or figures made from the first sheaf of the harvest. These dolls represented the spirit of the grain and were often kept until the next planting season to ensure a good harvest. Or if you have one that's exceptionally beautiful, you can hold on to it forever. Uh, <laughs> pilgrimages and gatherings were also a part of the traditions. People would make pilgrimages to sacred sites or hills to celebrate Lunasa. These gatherings often involved rituals, music, dancing, and storytelling. Bonfires were another prominent feature of Lunasa celebrations. The fires were seen as symbols of the sun's strength and power, and people would often leap over or walk around them as a form of purification and protection. Crafting and handwork is associated with Lunasa as well, as the celebration is associated with skills and craftsmanship like the namesake Lu. So it is fitting time for engaging in creative pursuits like crafting, weaving, and other forms of handwork, for example, kneading bread. And also honoring Lu as the festival is named for the Celtic gods, some celebrations may include rituals and offerings dedicated to him. And these can vary depending on the specific tradition or the personal beliefs of the specific practitioner. It's important to note that Lunasa may be celebrated differently among various pagan and neo-pagan traditions, and the practices can vary based on cultural and regional influences. Additionally, while the origins of Lunasa are tied to ancient Celtic customs, the festival continues to be observed and adapted by modern practitioners of pagan and earth-based spiritual paths. It's also important to note that although there are ancient origins to this particular celebration, as there are with many, Lunasa was added, along with the other seven festivals, to what is known as the Wheel of the Year by Gerald Gardner, who is the founder of modern Wicca. Many practitioners celebrate all eight Sabbaths, while some celebrate just a few, and some do not adhere to the Wheel of the Year at all, either because they are not Wiccan or do not have any connection to celebrations that are steeped in Celtic or Gaelic cultural traditions. Still, uh, it's interesting to research that specific time of year all over the world and come up with similar celebrations that took place in a time when very different peoples would have no contact with each other in ancient times. I myself am not Wiccan, but enjoy celebrating the Wheel of the Year, the changing of the seasons, the cycles of life, and the gifts that our Earth continues to bestow upon us year after year, especially the harvest. Um, but I will explain the Wiccan lore behind this particular celebration. So in some Wiccan traditions, during Lunasa, the god is seen as the sacrificial corn king or the sun king, and the goddess is revered as Earth Mother. 
uh, the god, as the personification of the sun, has reached the height of his power during the summer months and now begins to wane, just as the sun's strength begins to wane as the days grow shorter after the summer solstice. The god's energy is closely associated with the crops and the ripening grains in the fields. During the festival, the god willingly sacrifices himself, understanding that he must die so that life can continue. This act of self-sacrifice represents the cycle of life, death, and rebirth that is mirrored in nature. The god's sacrifice allows the harvest to be gathered, providing sustenance for the people and ensuring the continuation of life. At the same time, the goddess is celebrated as the Mother Earth at Lunasa. She represents the fertile land and the abundance of nature. The goddess has nurtured the crops through the growing season, and now she prepares to receive the god's sacrifice, which will fertilize the earth and ensure the next cycle of growth and renewal. As the earth mother, the goddess is the provider and sustainer, just as the earth provides for all living beings. Her role at Lunasa is to receive the god's energy, or the sun's energy, which will be absorbed by the land, preparing it for the coming autumn, and then the eventual rebirth in the spring. So this, in its entirety, is, in a sense, a representation of unity and sacred union, making Lunasa, for some, a time to celebrate the balance between the god and goddess, as well as the interconnectedness of all living things in the grand tapestry of life. Their relationship is seen as a divine marriage, representing the harmonious interaction between the sun and earth, and how the cyclical dance of life, death, and rebirth sustains the natural world. It's important to note that this is just one interpretation of Lunasa in Wicca, which is a diverse and eclectic belief system with roles of gods and goddesses that vary among different traditions and individual practitioners. So why the two names? Lunasa and Lamas are the most commonly used for this celebration amongst modern pagans, neo-pagans, witches, and magical practitioners. But why are there two and how do they differ? Well, it comes down to a difference in the origins and cultural associations with the two names. Lunasa is the older of the two names and has its roots in the ancient Celtic mythology and traditions. It's named after the Celtic god Lu, as I've said, who was a prominent deity associated with skills, craftsmanship, and the harvest. And the festival of Lunasa was dedicated to honoring Lu and giving thanks to the first fruits of the harvest. Lamas, on the other hand, comes from Old English and is derived from the words chlaf, meaning loaf, and mas, meaning mass. Lamas was originally a Christian holiday that was later incorporated into pagan and neo-pagan traditions. In the Christian context, Lamas was the day of Thanksgiving for the first wheat harvest and was often associated with the blessing of loaves of bread made from the new grain. So as paganism and neo-paganism gained popularity, many practitioners sought to reconnect with pre-Christian traditions and festivals. And the similarities between the Christian Lamas and the pagan Lunasa were evident, both being harvest celebrations held around the same time of year. So as a result, the two festivals became somewhat blended, and the name Lamas started to be used interchangeably with Lunasa in some modern pagan practices. 
Today, both names are commonly used to refer to the same festival, although some pagan traditions and individuals may prefer one name over the other based on personal or cultural preferences. However, the core themes and the traditions of the festivals, such as gratitude for the harvest, honoring the cycles of nature, remain pretty consistent regardless of which name is used. And some more of these themes and spiritual focuses include gratitude, as I've said, abundance, blessings, the necessity and inevitability of both life and death, celebration, harvest, reflection, introspection, discernment, and sacrifice. Uh, And that is why this is a wonderful time to work on magic associated with prosperity, abundance, strength, growth, protection, honoring ancestors, making offerings, blessings, communications with those who have passed, personal transformation, and of course, kitchen witchery. And less technically magical, but still extremely important, is acts of service, which may include uh, sharing food and other necessities with those in need, sprucing up neglected cemeteries, offering your time and energy to help another person ease their burdens or lighten their workload, helping out at a community garden, doing yard work for elderly neighbors, or providing social opportunities for those who are lonely or isolated. So let's talk about food. We love food and we love kitchen witchery. (laughs) So traditional food items and herbs for Lunasa include, and obviously this is going to depend on the region that you live in. For example, I keep a calendar uh, in my kitchen of foods that are in season month by month specific for my region. So this is a very broad list. It's highly recommended that you do the research to find out what's in season in your region because it really helps you connect to the land and nature around you. But the broad list is basically apples, corn, bread, squash, barley and grains, nuts, berries, potatoes, blackberries, bilberries and blueberries, grapes, mushrooms, This time of year, mushrooms are so abundant outside of my home. Honey, hot peppers, sweet peppers, sunflowers and sunflower seeds, goldenrod, yarrow, cinnamon, wine, mead, and cider. In fact, wine is one of the staple offerings that I use during seasonal celebrations and carries the magical properties of grapes, which include prosperity, divination, fertility, and romance. Uh, The earliest evidence of wine from um, the Caucasus region in today's Georgia goes back to 6,000 BCE. Uh, In Persia, 5,000 BCE, and Italy and Armenia, 4,000 BCE. New World Wine has some connection to alcoholic beverages made by the indigenous peoples of the Americas, but it's mainly connected to later Spanish traditions in New Spain. Just a fact about wine there. Sorry, I got sidetracked. (laughs) So... Compared to the other celebrations of the Wheel of the Year, or even the other two harvest festivals for that matter, Lunasa doesn't often seem to stand out that much. Unless you're tending to crops on a daily basis, you're not very likely to be especially filled with excitement over the thought of the first harvest. So 
one way that I like to celebrate and keep the spirit of the first harvest in the forefront of my mind, and I do this with most Wheel of the Year celebrations, is by focusing on gratitude, for one, for food, and also by shifting my practice to focus on kitchen witchery. So let's talk about kitchen witchery. Kitchen witchery, also sometimes known as kitchen witchcraft or cottage witchcraft, is a practice that centers around the use of the kitchen and cooking as a sacred and magical space. It is a form of domestic magic that focuses on infusing everyday tasks and culinary activities with intention, mindfulness, spiritual significance, and of course, magic. The roots of kitchen witchery can be traced back to ancient times when the hearth was the center of the home. Uh, In some cultures, the hearth was considered a sacred space and cooking was seen as a magical act where the cook would infuse food with love, healing energy, and blessings for the family. Now, when I say hearth, a lot of people think of, you know, um, either the kitchen or possibly even the fireplace. But if you've ever gone into an extremely old home or even taken a tour in an old village that's been preserved, you'll see that the kitchen and the hearth were once the very same. The actual heart of the home, where the heat and the food and everyone gathered, and where the heat and the food came from and where everyone gathered. And it's it's really incredible. And that feeling of the hearth is really capturing basically the heart of the home. Um, So that's what most people mean when they say hearth witchery. So throughout history, women in particular were often the keepers of the hearth and the ones responsible for cooking and preparing meals. As a result, they were more commonly the practitioners of any form of kitchen witchery, passing down their knowledge and traditions through generations. As we entered modern times, kitchen witchery experienced a resurgence, especially within contemporary pagan and eclectic magical communities. With a focus on mindfulness, intention, and a connection to nature, practitioners of kitchen witchery find magical and spiritual significance in the act of cooking, baking, and creating meals. So kitchen witchery involves various practices and techniques, and each practitioner may adapt it to suit their personal beliefs and preferences. Some common applications include cooking with intention. Kitchen witches infuse their cooking with specific intentions such as love, healing, abundance, protection, or success, and they may use herbs and spices and other ingredients that correspond to their magical goals in the same way that plant spirits are called upon to aid in spell work. Uh, Ritual cooking. Preparing meals for specific rituals or seasonal celebrations is a common practice. Special dishes and offerings may be crafted to honor deities, ancestors, or nature spirits during festivals and ceremonies. I myself have a slowly growing collection of recipes that I've assigned to specific celebrations to not only mark certain occasions and times of the year, but to incorporate ingredients that have both seasonal and magical significance. It's fun. I have a recipe box engraved with the words, a year of recipes and my initials that include recipes, not just for the wheel of the year celebrations, but every holiday that we celebrate as well as birthdays and anniversaries. And I have a section for the unexpected, like recipes, teas, and even cocktails for heartbreak or loss or special occasions and impromptu celebrations like weddings, births, uh, or special achievements. It's still a work in progress. Um, And I hope to be able to hand it over to someone who will find it meaningful one day. 
Um, another application is herbalism and kitchen medicine. Uh, kitchen witches, uh, kitchen witches. Uh, that's going to happen a lot now. Damn it. Kitchen witches often work with culinary herbs and plants for their magical and healing properties. And they may create teas, tinctures, or herbal remedies for various purposes. Uh, a kitchen altar may be part of a kitchen witchery practice, as some practitioners maintain a sacred space or an altar in their kitchen, dedicating it to the spirits of the hearth or um, kitchen or hearth deities. This space serves as a focal point for magical work and blessings, while other practitioners may look at their entire kitchen or their entire home, for that matter, as an altar. Um, special kitchen tools as magical objects may play a role because kitchen utensils and tools can be seen as magical instruments to kitchen witches. For example, a wooden spoon might be used as a wand and a cauldron or a stock pot can symbolize transformation. Cooking by the moon and seasons may be part of your practice as well. Kitchen witches, damn it, kitchen witches choose to or may align their cooking practices with the phases of the moon and the changing seasons using these natural cycles to enhance their magic. But I think what is at the root of kitchen witchery in most cases is mindful cooking. Kitchen witchery emphasizes the importance of being present and mindful while cooking and creating nourishing meals for yourself and your loved ones. Each step of the process is performed with intention and gratitude, fostering a deeper connection with the food and its spiritual significance. It's essential to remember that kitchen witchery is a flexible and adaptable practice, and each practitioner may incorporate elements that resonate with them personally. It's not necessarily tied to any religious tradition, which makes it accessible to people from various spiritual backgrounds who wish to infuse their kitchen activities with magic and intention. And to those who would ask about the ethics behind cooking a feast that's spelled with magical intention for attendees who may not be aware, that is a decision and a position that you must come to on your own. Yes, there are those who look down upon the practice of magic on anyone at all, and even those who look down upon magic for personal gain, which I will add my personal opinion on that front. What is even the point? And please do your research into folk magic, which was often practiced by underprivileged and marginalized people who had no other recourse. You might be able to see things differently then. But everyone gets to set their own code of ethics here. I feel no apprehension when I'm cooking a meal to bring health, peace, and prosperity to those who I love. But that is me. There are some practitioners who have worked some not-so-friendly spell work into their kitchen witchery, and that is also on them to decide if they are justified or comfortable with that or not. It's not for any of us to point the finger or set the rules for anyone else in witchcraft. Most of us have turned away from other traditions or religious systems for that reason. Here, you are tasked with the sole responsibility to govern your own actions, own them, and deal with whatever consequences, good or bad, that may or may not come as a result, even in the kitchen. So, in the spirit of kitchen witchery and the celebration of Lunasa, I have some recipes to share with you. <laughs> Let me move my corn dolly. She's standing on top of my recipes. Excuse me, thank you. Okay, so the first is sunbread for Lou. 
And this one comes from moodymoons.com. Since the Celtic god of the sun, Lu, is celebrated on Lunasa, it's only right to honor him and solar energy with some homemade sun bread. In addition, in the British Isles, Lunasa's other name is actually Lamas, which literally means loaf mass. Bread and grains are an integral part of this celebration and its traditions and meals, and a favorite to some fae and gods. Sun bread for Lu. Here is your list of ingredients. 1.5 cups of lukewarm water, 4 tablespoons of honey, 1 packet of instant yeast, 2 tablespoons of sunflower oil, or you can substitute with olive oil, a half a cup of sunflower seeds, plus more for topping, 1.5 cups of whole wheat flour, 2 teaspoons of salt, 1.5 to 2 cups of white flour, and 1 egg white. You're going to whisk together the yeast, honey, and warm water and allow it to stand until frothy for about five minutes. Place the sunflower seeds in a blender and pulse for a few seconds until roughly chopped. Stir the sunflower seeds together with the whole wheat flour and salt and then add the yeast water and sunflower oil and stir to combine. Afterwards you will add in a half a cup of white flour, working the dough by hand. As you need, add in more white flour until the dough is smooth and elastic. Place this back in the bowl and cover it with a clean towel and allow it to rise for about an hour or until it doubles in size. Once you've done that, punch down the dough and divide it into two loaves. Place back on the baking sheet lined with parchment paper and allow it to rise again for about another hour. Baking bread is a process, y'all, but it's an art as well. Finally, you're going to preheat the oven to 400 degrees or 375 if your oven runs hot and brush the tops of your bread loaves with the egg whites and sprinkle some unchopped sunflower seeds on the top of the loaves. You're gonna bake these for 20 to 25 minutes until golden brown on the tops. Now I'm actually gonna go over the significance of the ingredients that go into both of the recipes that I'm sharing. I just wanna get through the recipes first. So the next recipe is for honey cinnamon sunflower seed butter. And this comes from lauranorrisrunning.com. A perfect spread to go on your sun bread. Sunflowers directly linked to the sun, which is our main focus on this first harvest. And when we take the time to make our own sunflower seed butter with honey and cinnamon, two magical summer foods, we are imbuing solar magic directly into our food. So for your honey cinnamon sunflower seed butter, your ingredients list is two and a half cups of shelled raw sunflower seeds, a pinch of sea salt, a pinch to one quarter teaspoon of ground cinnamon, and scant one tablespoon of clover honey. Your instructions are to preheat your oven to 350 degrees, spread the sunflower seeds thinly on a baking sheet, and roast them for 10 to 15 minutes, stirring once through for even cooking. Let the sunflower seeds cool, and then place them with sea salt and cinnamon in a food processor or high-speed blender and pulse to break the seeds up. Puree this into a butter, which will take about 10 to 20 minutes, depending upon your food processor. And the sunflower seeds will first turn into a meal, then a thick paste, and eventually a butter. Patience is the key here, just like with the bread. 
And every couple of minutes, stop the blender and press the sunflower seeds back down to the bottom if they have climbed up the sides of the blender. Once the sunflower seeds are turned into butter, drizzle in the honey and pulse a few times more to combine. Store this in an airtight container in the fridge for up to one month. Okay, so the significance of the ingredients in these recipes. We'll start with honey. Throughout the world and across cultures, people associate bees with magic and the supernatural. The ancient Romans believed that bees carried messages from the gods, and Egyptians made offerings of honey to the dead in their tombs. In modern witchcraft, practitioners associate honey with summer festivals. Sunflower seeds. Symbolizing abundance, prosperity, and sun magic, including sunflower seeds in this recipe, is uh, really great at drawing luck and honoring the waning sun. Uh, all parts of the sunflower are used in joy magic and to brighten moods. And they also taste pretty good in bread. Whole wheat, as we know, llamas is really a celebration of the grain harvest, uh, which is why baking bread is a traditional activity on this late summer holiday. Choose high quality flour for this recipe and get it from a local source if you can. And finally, cinnamon. Magically speaking, cinnamon is an absolute powerhouse because it is very versatile for your magical needs. Cinnamon can be used for love magic and money magic through its strong ability to attract, and it's also powerfully protective. Because of its warming tastes and quality, it's also equated with the energy of the sun, as well as with Mars, as those two have rulership associations with fire lending to its property of protection. So you can make the most of this bread and sweet honey cinnamon sunflower butter around this celebration. Uh, you can save a piece to leave on your altar as an offering. You can serve it as an alternative to cake at the end of your feast, or if you do a cakes and ale or cakes and wine ritual in your ritual work. You can give a loaf away to a neighbor to begin the bonds of neighborly friendship or to friends, especially friends who understand the significance of this, or even if they don't, whatever. It's People love food, so give bread. <laughs> um, you can draw sacred symbols into your bread before you bake it to add to its magical power. And you can even freeze this bread for up to two weeks and serve it to honor the extended summer harvest season. So I hope that you try and enjoy those recipes. I certainly am going to, and I'll try to share some images. I know that I've been um, not that great at that lately. <laughs> But I'm going to bake these up and take some pictures and share them. I will also be sharing the written versions of these recipes and, their, and the significance of the ingredients used up on my website. I know that it's a hell of a lot easier to read them than to listen to them. So they will be available as soon as this episode is released. Be sure to scoop them up and give them a try for yourself. So that is all that I have for you today. So please be well and have an amazing weekend and have an amazing supermoon and an amazing Lunasa. Talk to you later. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. If you like what you've been hearing, please drop me a review wherever you listen. If you want some more content, please go to www.aisforagrimony.com where you can find my blog, episode archive, spells and rituals, 
and soon to come, The Coven Shop. You can also follow me on Instagram at a underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony. That's an underscore in between every word. Or like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash a is for agrimony. Want to contact me? Shoot an email to reachmargo at a is for agrimony.com. And if you're interested in some exclusive bonus content, you can join me over on Patreon at patreon.com slash A is for Agrimony, where I share early release, unedited video format episodes, weekly collective card readings, monthly spells, and much more. You're also welcome to send me some snail mail, if you're that kind of person, to P.O. Box 397, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, zip code 08003. I'd love a good surprise. or not. I don't know. Anyway, thank you for listening. Be well and have an amazing weekend.